So let's get the party started. Last class, we looked at three different biological systems that they're constantly interacting, and these more or less, like, the conflicts between them is really the battleground of morality and free choice. The three, the three systems were the brain and the nervous system. And one thing I, I left out, which is really a cool idea, I was always troubled by this idea of why the body should get a chalet and haba. You know, everyone except the Rambam says that that happens. For the Rambam, because he's very much, um, you know, pro-intellect, you know, spirituality equals intellect, you know, it, it becomes very difficult, like, why do you need a body in the afterlife for him? And so his Tichias Amesim is kind of weird because he kind of looks at it like, okay, you know, you go through life, you die, Tichias Amesim happens, so you get like a round two, but then you die again, and your neshama gets to hang out with God, and that's the way you live for eternity. You know, everyone else more or less says, no, like when you, when, when you have Tichias Amesim, you're alive and you stay alive in this, you know, highly spiritualized sort of way. So I, don't know, I was always kind of bothered with, well, why would that, like, I, I gravitated towards the Rambam a lot, like brass tacks, like, well, why, what justifies the body getting a Tichias Amesim? So something really cool is that our entire experience of our world is really first modeled and grafted onto our entire nervous system. What this means practically is, like, let's say that you went blind, you know, God forbid. And, you know, most people aren't 100% blind. Like, people can still see, you know, light. But, but for, you know, we're going to say you're 100% blind. And if I were to show you a shocking picture. And I were to ask you, well, what's on the picture? Of course, you'd say, stupid question, Rabbi, I can't see. But if I hooked your body up with different, uh, you know, measuring how much you're sweating at heart rate, your body would respond to the shocking image. You just can't see it. Your body sees it. Your body sees it. Wait, that's possible? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or someone who became paralyzed later in life, if you were to, you know, like get them on a crane and lower them onto a treadmill, so they can't walk, but what would end up happening is their body would, their legs would start doing the motion of walking that their legs know, your, their legs know how to walk. You don't need a brain for that. How is the body thing possible with the picture? How could it feel like, like... The picture doesn't touch them. Right? But what, there your entire your entire nervous system, your entire body is designed to reflect reality. So it becomes really cool. Like, you, you know, how much of you is your body, and how much of you ain't your body? That's not clear cut. So, a cool thought that uh, kind of kind of make getting things a little more complicated. So maybe it is justified. Your body gets a tchias amazing. It experiences the world before you realize you're experiencing the world, and it's responding to the world before you're consciously aware. This is also why babies usually don't fall off ledges. They just have it they have it built in just not to do that. There's a lot so of stuff like that. Always so worried about babies I don't know, I wasn't worried. So that was system, that was system number one. That was system number one. And that I I, I kinda labeled as uh, you know left right left right hemisphere, predator system, prey system, order system, chaos system, and that we engage the world in a paradox this way. And you missed all of this, so none of this will make sense. I also missed that. Yeah. What I'm gonna do is what I'm gonna do is for the test, which we also talked about that you missed. Oh yeah, ask everybody. It's not it's not it's not a it's not a crazy test. It's more creative and I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put um the my my sheets up so you can kind of see and Bring it back here. So that was, that's system number one. System number two was this more moral system, the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah Tov. 
I conceptualize the Azahara as, as selfishness. So survive, survive. Both are really survival uh, skill based. That's what you're doing. But one is more selfish and one is more selfless. In, I, I argue that the Yetzir Tov has pretty good press, but it's not so accurate that one's selflessness oftentimes creates its own problems. In fact, in our, in our, in our morning brachas that we, that, we, that we daven, we make specific mention that we don't want our Yetzir to get ahead of itself. That when, a person, when, when we are too selfless, when we're too giving, oftentimes what we end up doing is we fragilize people and we deny them the ability to handle their own problems and grow from them. So it's actually very harmful to, to help people. Not all the time. I don't want to be like, you know, look, let them suffer. That's not what I'm arguing. It's not what I'm saying. Don't, we're not letting people suffer. But it's a, a thing you have to at least think about is, am I fragilizing this person? Am I stealing an opportunity for them to grow? That's a serious question. And then the last system was cognition. And there, I spelled out the paradox that exists there is between one having the ability to um, properly assess and use his intelligence to, to make his way through the world, and the other is rationalizing, that most of the reasons we give in life are really just rationalizations, that we don't look stupid. Because if we were really like being honest with ourselves, you know, if we were really going to give the real reason why we did something is, you know, you know, well, you know, why did you just hit that guy? Well, the real reason is when my left hemisphere compelled me to do it. That sounds dumb. As opposed to if you give a reason like, well, he's being an idiot. Society will, ex- will accept being an idiot and sometimes warrants getting a whack. Don't hit people. Okay. Oh, my left hemisphere is telling me to. Yeah, my left, yeah, right. That would be, that would be, yeah. There was a comedian. There was a comedian way back. You know, he would. He would I forget the guy's name, but, but he would. He had this line: "The devil made me do it." Kind of like that. look him up. The devil made me do it. Look, you can look him up. He was a he was a famous comedian way back when. I bet you would win a court case for that. Okay. So more or less, what we. More, more or less, more or less, what we've what we've covered up until now is is an outline of the meta halacha of bein adam la'asmo, how you relate to yourself. That was last week's class and the week before last. We're going to move into some new territory of bein adam lechavero, how one orients himself to other people. It's pasuk and devarim, tupsukim, shemor. Tishmarun es mitzvos Adonai Eloichem, ve'edosav, v'huchav, asher, tzivach. That you should super guard, shemor tishmarun, be a guarder of the mitzvahs that God gave and all of his, his uh, um, symbolic mitzvahs, like edus is kind of like a um, mitzvahs that, are, are, that, that um, are more philosophically based, let's say, and chukim, which have no rational meaning. So do those. That basically covers all mitzvahs. The first passage says, do mitzvahs. Great. Got it. And do good, be straight and good in the eyes of God so that you can lead a good life and inherit the land. So, 
the Ramban on this Pusik says, well, wait a second, you know, if the first Pusik, I mean, that basically covered all the mitzvahs, right? Like, said, do them all, you know? So what's this Pusik adding? And the Ramban takes from this Pusik as the source for um, this meta idea of Bainan al-Mukhavero, because he basically boils down, he says like this, living with people is complicated to say the least. You know, there's, there's many levels of relationship you to, that you have to deal with. You got your, you know, we, we sorted out yourself in the last couple classes and that was complex enough, but now you got to deal with your, your family, you got to deal with your friends, you got to deal with your community, your, your businesses that you might be running, you know, how you do business, just being a basic citizen to the country you live in and, you know, being a nice guy in your neighborhood. So the Ramban, point blank, says it's impossible for the Torah to outline all those mitzvahs. It's impossible to make a list. You know, we got the 613, that's fair enough, but there, it, it would just be an infinite amount of mitzvahs working out that ball of wax, how you should relate to other people. So, so basically what, what this Busik presents are, are two different two different worlds you have to be standing in in order to properly do the mitzvahs of Bein Adam Lechavero. One, Hatov, is in the eyes of God. You always have to consider what God might think about what you're doing. And Hayashar, that idea reflects, well, you have to be Yashar in the eyes of man. And you have to do both simultaneously. And if you're able to navigate that, you're doing good in the world of Bein Adam Lechavero. Hatov means in the eyes of, of God, and being Yashar means in the oh, eyes of man. It's in you look at it's in Devarim Vav Yudches. This is the full pasuk. So it turns out, you know, how you treat people is it's it's not just a divine mandate. It demands that there's a human component as well simultaneously present. It gets kind of hairy, you know, the things that I've, I've experienced, the way that people relate to being religious, because I think a lot of times the first part is overemphasized when it comes to Bain al-Chavero. God says treat people good, so it's a commandment, and you go out, you're going to be a good soldier, and you're going to do it. And people forget, well, but yeah, but like in order to be... In order to relate to other human beings, you have to not be a robot. You have to actually be a human being. There was a story about one of the one of the modern day gedolim, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. He was sick, and he was getting a lot of visitors, and and he started turning. He was turning people away, but like he was kind of objecting. He was basically made the rule: listen, if you're making me your mitzvah, I don't want to see you. If you're coming because you're actually worried about my health. By all means, it's nice to see you. But don't make me your mitzvah. Don't make me some object to be used in order to get a better place in, in, in heaven. I ran across another example of this. I ran across this, uh, this, this it was, it was nice lectures on Sukkot. And the speaker, I, man, it just like really caught me off guard. He was tying in Sukkot to how you treat people. And the way he put it was you need to treat people like you would treat your S-rogue. And I just, yeah, 
Like, that's your reference point? <laughs> is the S-Rogue, like, we're so worried about an S-Rogue, like, that's the thing that's not ambiguous? That's the thing that makes sense? But it's more of a weird piece of information that maybe you need to treat people nicely? Again, this overemphasis on Bain Adam Lechavero as a commandment from God, and not enough of Yashris. Being a person who feels. You know, I even at one point had a whole debate with whether or not you can fulfill the mitzvah of Avis Reim, loving another person. Do you need to feel anything to fulfill that mitzvah? To love another person? Yeah. Love them. Yeah. Do you need to feel a feeling or not? Yeah. Well, I was very much arguing you do because love's a feeling. I mean, I was just being like simple, simple position. Like, well, if you're supposed to love somebody, there is a feeling there. Now, uh, to be fair, there are some there are some Rishonim that would argue your your point that that it's more important the behavior and you can be legitimate. It, it can be legitimate that you can say you were Mekayim, the mitzvah of Avis Ram by visiting the sick, you know, giving tzedakah, whatever it is, um, no matter what your intention is. You could, you know, even by accident, there's a, there's a sheet to, in the post game that if you drop money and some, some poor soul picks it up and, you know, he was really poor, he really needs it, that you get the mitzvah of Avis Ram. Like, so there, there is a, such a sheet. There's what to say about, be, about, about uh, behaviors being more important than feelings. But um, but I, I I was making the pushback, and it does turn out that well, if you want to be makayim this mitzvah, you know, to the fullest extent according to all positions, you have to do both: do something nice and actually feel something nice. Even if you force yourself to. Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, uh, maybe if you want to forgive someone. Mm-hmm. And you want to like you take the first step of saying sorry. Hoping they'll feel it full, like, and you do forgive them, but you don't feel it wholeheartedly. Is it? Does that take away? Like, do you not get the mitzvah if if you forgive someone who really wronged you, and like, you and you forgave them, but like, you don't feel it like a hundred percent sometimes. Does that make sense? I well, I know. I mean, it might not be forbidden not to forgive somebody. I mean, there are certain situations you shouldn't forgive people. Like what? Like, kind of depends. What would be a situation that you don't have to forgive a person? If they horribly ruin you. In what sense? In like a social sense. Like they just totally like, really, the, whatever they did to you was so horrible that it was like you just couldn't survive in society. Like, they, you lost your job. You ra- they ran you out of town. I mean, those things. It's, what if they really it's, it, what now, they made you go to start, Like what if you have to start therapy because of it? Yeah. What I would say like this, because I, I don't know if the most important thing about forgiving someone is for the other person. I think the most important thing about forgiveness is for yourself, that you're able to unburden yourself of hate. Like, hate is toxic. I mean, I, that might, I think that there's a strong argument to make that forgiving someone is more bane out of la'atzmo. But you owe it to yourself to forgive people. Hmm? What happens if you don't necessarily hate the person, you just don't want to forgive the action that they did? Like, you've no. moved on, but like... You're just... It was wrong. You didn't like it and hurt you, and fair enough. I guess it's okay to still feel unhurt, right? I mean, it's complicated. Yeah. I mean, these sorts of questions are complicated because... they never apologize, and they yeah. never feel... Like I mean, the, the, in halacha, the, the midas chasidus, like the ideal to, to try and strive for is forgiving people who've never, never even knew that they harmed you. That's, well, that's the extent that of how forgiving you should be. But, like, the word should there 
is with asterisks. That's a tall order, and that's something you work towards. That's more of a life philosophy. It, it's less, he did this, I did that, she said this. That's very, that's very local. You know, that's very, that's very limited. When you're talking about that level of forgiveness, it's not so much about what happened on Tuesday, but that's more of like, how do you want to lead your life? It's a life question. Um, and that is, and I, it is something to strive for. So I'm, I'm definitely not encouraging people not to be forgiving. But what I am saying is forgiveness is not so simple. You have to be honest with yourself about that. And also know, but maybe you deserve to forgive somebody. Like I said, at the very least, like unburn yourself with the toxicity of hate. I mean, that just ruins people. Like really, that takes years off your life hating people. You know, that's one, one thing that surprises couples when they come into therapy. Like they figure, usually you know, couples like will, will suffer for a good 10 years before they go to therapy. And I mean suffer. It's not like, oh, they had some problems. And it's always just a train wreck when they come in around that time anyway because whatever, whatever pain that they were, they were going through, like just multiplied by, you know, every month. Um, and they're surprised to learn, like, yeah, I mean, we have turned this around, not just because you want to keep your marriage, but we don't, we don't want you to get sick and die. It, it, it ruins your immune system, hate. It just ruins it. So it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, being, maybe being forgiving is, is a good idea just for you. Okay. What about if you forgive someone, but you haven't ever told them you forgive them? Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. Oh. And that's a different question of, well, okay, you've forgiven them, but would it, would it add anything in the world to tell them? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, like if you speak Lush and Hara about somebody, let's say, usually it's more painful to hear, oh my gosh, you were saying that behind my back? Yeah. As opposed to, that's why Rabbi Yisrael Salant did not give his Haskama to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, book on Lush and Hara. He said, no way. Because in your book, you make it, you say that it's a chiyu, that you have to tell the person who knew nothing about the Lush and Hara, that if no, you're just going to hurt him more. I'm not going to sign on to your book. It was all in that one halacha. Rabbi Yisrael Salant wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, he praised the book, he's the good book, you should all read it. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to denigrate the, the work, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. You know, it's like, what are you, what, what are you trying to achieve? Should always be like the first question you ask in anything. So, so it comes out, so it comes out for our purposes the idea of Tov and Yashras are two types of knowledge, let's say. That being good in the eyes of Hashem, the, the way the Malbim looks at it, is received knowledge, revelation. Whereas Yashras is something inborn, instinctual. It's Rav. I love the way Rav Hersh. He's not the only one who puts it puts it this way. But Rav Hersh, um, in his in his customary poetic style, you know, puts it to you like this: that there's really two types of revelation in the world. One is Harsinai, and the other is in your human heart constantly. So today I'm going to focus more on the you know Harsinai stuff. What you know, it being being good in the eyes of God when it when it comes to to Ben and there's really two types. There's two types of received knowledge. One is chok. Chok. 
Wait, this is the two different types of knowledge that oh, we've heard. So there's two types. I'm saying there's two different types of knowledge. Yeah, but this is like from. And, and this is the 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 not this is received received knowledge. Okay. You know, knowledge. You know, being good in the eyes of Hashem. We're gonna next week. We're gonna deal with. We're gonna de- deal with Yashras of of you know, being straight when it comes to other people. You know, that more instinctual sort of knowledge, the, the inner revelation of the oh, human heart. So, so, so like Coke and the other one that we didn't discuss yet are going to be the two branches mm-hmm. of the knowledge given from Hashem kind of thing? So hold on, so... so Receiving knowledge is a Coke? Yeah, yeah let, me, let me backtrack. I'm gonna, let, me, let me just let me, let me, uh, map this out a little more, uh, more effectively. So there's, two, so there's two types of knowledge based on, based on the Malabim. And being, being good in the eyes of Hashem, this Tov in the eyes of Hashem, that's received knowledge. That's Harsinai stuff. And there's two types of that. There's Chok, and there's things that you would need to live longer than your lifespan to know. These are two different, different types of, revel- of revelation when it comes to God. We're going to deal with the, the revelation of the human heart, Later, we're going to deal with that next week. If you lived a super long time, so chok is 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 a little harder to define. But basically, what a chok is is it's it's Rav Harish kind of describes it as almost like this inherent spiritual um, uh, essence. It's it, it's not explainable. It's not it's not something that human logic can can have derived all on its own. And these are things like you know halachas like shatnas or you know halachas like you know all the halachas of what you can and can't eat. I mean, there's no there's no rational explanation for those things. Those are those are a hoke. And Rashi Gemara Brachos gives a reason. Well, why would God ever put in things that don't make sense? That's, that's basically the bottom line of a chok. It doesn't make sense. Why do we have it? So, the way he almost looks at it is like Torah is almost too perfect. Torah makes a lot of sense, says Rashi. It makes a lot of rational sense. And, it may, and, and a lot of how the halachic process is organized gives a lot of power to people. You know, you learn, you keep learning, eventually become a rabbi, you got a lot of books under your belt. Eventually, you can you can start posketing halachas. And you know, way back when, in the times of the Gemara, they were creating halachas. They were arguing. I mean, it was just, it was great. It was a it was a good old time. Make halachas all over the place. And there's a certain sort of smell of like, well, who's doing it? Is this God doing it? Is this people doing it? And well, it all makes sense and it's all reasonable. And there's a certain a certain gaiva that you have to watch out for in the halakhic process because God does give a lot of power in our hands. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's the, that it's demanded given the fact that we have free will. It's by default we have to have a lot of power. Well, a lot is writing on what we do. We have free will. So what a chok is, says Rashi, is almost like a reminder that God throws in things that make absolutely no sense just to remind you, this is, halacha is not created by you. There's, there's some God stuff going on. Don't forget that. So it's a reminder. In every halacha, no matter how reasonable, when you start really pounding the particulars of the halacha, you're going to, the most reasonable, most logic-based halachas, you're going to find a chok or two. They're always kind of hidden there, like little snipers to remind you. So that's a chok. That's a chok.
serving as a reminder that, sure, we have a lot of power in the halakhic process, but wait a second, this is a God thing. Don't forget, you're not exactly the one in charge. That's what a chok, that's what its function is. The, the, the second aspect of you know, received knowledge from, from Hashem are the things that you would need to live longer than a lifetime to figure out. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. What does that mean? It's the work you put in, not For, the results type. Like playing the game smart. Like, doesn't it matter if you just win? Like, isn't that what a game's all about? Win. Like, that's what a game's designed to do. It's like, why? I'm not arguing it's not true. Like, we all, when we hear that phrase, it doesn't matter if you win or lose how you play the game. Like, we all intuitively know it's true. Like, what is it teaching? It doesn't matter how long you stay alive and whether you see the end results. It's about what you're doing right now without needing to know the end. One One way of looking at this is that there's two games going on. Meaning, well, if you if you play hard to win in hockey, you're not going to be invited back a second time. You'll win the first game. And you can win by cheating, you can win by being underhanded, you can win by just playing rough. You're playing, the, playing within the rules, but you know, you're breaking some bones. And you won. But no one's ever going to invite you back a second time. You're not going to be able to play the meta game of hockey over and over and over again. So th- th- there are things like that in life where they make sense, but you'd have to have a lot of life under your belt for to be able to verbalize and make sense. Oh, okay, well, that's what it means. I think another, another more um, practical example, this one gets a little more, more hairy, is you know Hurricane Katrina that hit uh, New Orleans. There was 1,200 people died. And, you know, when it happened, you know, the nation comes together and it's a horrible tragedy. You know, it's a natural disaster. There was nothing natural about that disaster. Not one bit. The whole, something like two-thirds or more of the people that died in Hurricane Katrina wasn't because there was a hurricane. It was because the, the people that were designing the levees that were going to hold back the floodwaters decided to be cheap, and they knew it. They knew they were being cheap. They knew that the levees would not hold with a level 5 hurricane. They knew people will die and many people will die. And they also knew that it's about like every 100 years you have a level 5 hurricane near New Orleans. Isn't a levee like a dam? A levee is like basically a big wall that, you know, when, the, when, when, when you have floodwaters, it holds them back. Is it like a dam? No, it's not. I mean, it might look a little bit like a dam, but it's a different thing. So... You know, everybody relates to that experience as though that was a natural disaster and how horrible that was. Like I said, there's nothing natural about it. When they designed those levees, they knew that people were going to die. It's just you'd have to have a lifetime to know it because it's pretty rare. A level 5 hurricane only happens once every, like I said, once every 100 years or something. So that's not knowledge you'd immediately know. This is like wisdom. Yeah. It's received wisdom which is true and very true. There, it, it, there is a logic to it. There is a rationalization behind it. It's just, like I said, you might not live long enough 
to figure it out that it is rational. You know, with, for our purposes here, you know, it's things like Shabbos is like that. You know, Shabbos preserves the Jewish people. You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, one or two people don't keep Shabbos. You know, the Jewish people will march on. But, you know, when, when, enough, when enough Jews stop keeping Shabbos, well, those communities just disappear. And that, that takes a lifetime or two. You know, Shabbos keeps the Jewish people. You know, it's not the Jews that keep the Shabbos. It's the other way around. Kind of touching a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. We're running out of time here. We're ending at five, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so we're hitting five right now. Okay. So we'll, 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 we'll leave it here. Just dipping our toes in the water of Bain Javero. Any questions? Or? Can, you, yeah, yeah. can you just repeat the last line you just said that it's rational, but like we won't live long enough? To you just don't live long enough to realize it's rational. You'd have to live a lifetime or two to, to get, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I see why that works that way. Thank you for the class, Charlotte. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you.